The show you love with even more local news and more local talk. The voice of the valley. The Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5. On air and online. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's your host, Mike Douglas. And welcome to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. I cannot tell you, cannot tell you how excited I am to be on the air with you today. You have no idea how excited I am to be on the air. Absolutely, and I, I can't think of the adjectives to describe how excited, exhilarated, uh, relieved, etc. I am to be back with you today. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, again, I, I am just uh, so pleased that Lori and I are back here in uh, in Stanislaus County. Uh, we, we had a wonderful conference that we are uh, that we were at last week, and uh, it was in uh, Arlington, Virginia. And over the next couple of days and weeks, I will be uh, sharing with you uh, some of the, well, some of the nuggets of wisdom uh, from all of that. And uh, I think you'll, uh, you'll find some of it to be uh, very interesting and also uh, useful as well. However, we're just going to pepper uh, our discussions with that as we go along over the next couple of uh, days and weeks to come. So I will be giving you uh, the value that we obtained from that particular conference we were at. Now, the reason I'm, I'm so thrilled to be with you today is we were supposed to be home on uh, Saturday, that's right. We were supposed to be home on Saturday, and uh, it was uh, it was just an unreal uh, expectation so, <laughs> that we would get home on Saturday. Turned out it didn't happen that way. Between about five different uh, rebookings and cancellations, and then an active shooter uh, at the airport we were at in Texas, why it was an adventure uh, coming home. And so, anyway, it's, uh, I'm just thrilled uh, again to be back with you uh, today. Now, uh, at, at the top of the show, I'm going to let you know, we already have some technical challenges today. Coming back, you never know what's left for you with the technical gremlins. So uh, we'll be working on opening the phones for you a little bit later on. But I wanted to start by thanking our guest hosts from last week, uh, first of all, uh, thanks to uh, Modesto Police Department's Chris Adams, Steve Stanfield, and uh, Eric uh, Schuler from Behind the Badge. That great team, thank you for filling in last week. And uh, frequent guest host here is our friend Ed Parco from Real Estate Jerky on the weekends. Ed, thank you so much for filling in. Uh, Modesto City Councilman Chris Rickey and uh, Pastor Jim Applegate from Better Modesto last week as well. And then at the end of the week, uh, Motek Sanchez with Frank Gallaldo, uh, both from 209times.com. We thank you very much, very much for filling in uh, unexpectedly for some of you uh, towards the end of the week. But like I said, we are, uh, Lori and I are thrilled to be back. And uh, as we begin today, in addition to uh, trying to solve some of the uh, technical problems, and we'll do that uh, during some of the breaks here, I wanted to uh, fill you in, first of all, 
on uh, that um, that shooting at <laughs> at Love Field in Dallas, uh, the airport there. We happened to be there right when that was occurring in our terminal. A uh, little update that uh, with that, and I want to give you uh, what we know about it thus far to set this up, and then I'll go through the timeline, and then I want to offer you an opportunity to think about survival instincts. As I've said many, many times, we respond the way we train. And many times what we need to do is respond and train in our minds ahead of time. The mental game is so important. And so uh, as we go through what I observed, I want to share with you some nuggets of wisdom. And this is my opinion, of course. But some nugget of wisdom, uh, nuggets of wisdom, one, to challenge you, but also to help you possibly prepare for an incident like Lori and I were faced with on, uh, on Sunday uh, or on Monday with an active shooter in the terminal that we were in. So I hope you find this valuable, but let's set it up uh, with at least some updates. Uh, Dallas PD, applause to them, kudos uh, to them. I have watched some of the uh, body cam footage that they put out today. And uh, the, uh, the suspect in all of this is a woman named Portia Odufwa. And she uh, threatened to blow up the Dallas Love Field while we were there yesterday morning and wouldn't obey officers' commands. And so this is Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia giving kudos to the officer that uh, uh, shot her, not fatally, uh, in her lower extremities, which I assume uh, meant her leg areas. Anyway, I I think this kudo is well-deserved from the police chief there. If it was appropriate, I would have given that officer a medal right here in front of you all today. I'm sure that time will come. I'm sure it will, too. Uh, apparently the officer knew something was amiss. And as I watched the body cam footage from yesterday, it shows this woman being dropped, uh, outside the airport by an unknown male. She gets out of the car and she walks into the ticketing area at Southwest airlines. And it's believed to be this woman named Portia Odufa. By the way, not unknown to Dallas Police Department. Uh, It's believed that she was also a suspect in an attempted bank robbery back in 2019. So she, uh, it shows she walks into a women's bathroom. She comes out and she's got a a hoodie uh, very tightly uh, uh, held across her her head and apparently uh, pulled a gun. And varying reports, some say that she fired three shots into the ceiling. Uh, there's one report that she fired at uh, the police officer. And by the way, he was seeking cover behind one of those kiosks. If you're familiar with Southwest Airlines, you know they have those kiosks uh, where you can uh, self-check in and check your baggage. Well, he was using one of those as cover. He apparently saw her acting suspiciously, and his antenna went up, which is good. Good observation. And so he was watching her intently. She pulled out a gun and allegedly fired three shots into the ceiling, perhaps one at him. We haven't confirmed that. And uh, he fired at her several times, hitting her in her lower extremities, I assume uh, meaning her legs. She's uh, in stable condition in the hospital. The officer wasn't injured. 
And so Dallas Police Chief Eddie Garcia this morning said the officer was incredibly observant before yesterday's shooting at Dallas's Love Field. The fact that she went into the bathroom, came back out, had tied her hoodie a little bit tighter, and then she started walking around the kiosks, uh, and that somehow drew the attention of the officer. And then obviously she made she made those statements, which obviously drew the officer's attention even more. Absolutely. Now he notes that apparently uh, the suspect here did not own the gun that she used. It was not registered to her. Uh, obviously. Uh, She got it from somebody else, but we're trying to figure out precisely where the origin of that firearm came from. And then he makes a statement that I think is really, really important. The chief pointed out something that's routinely ignored by the mass media and by anti-gun and anti-Second Amendment politicians. Just because you're legally prohibited from owning a gun doesn't mean you can't get a hold of one. And she was a prime example. Again, here's Dallas Police Chief. You may be prohibited from from possessing a weapon, but that doesn't stop people from possessing them. So it's not rare. It's not odd uh, in a line of work. It happens all the time. It happens many times. All right. So police body camera and surveillance footage uh, has been released. Uh, I watched uh, several of the clips this morning. Again, it shows this woman believed to be Portia Odufwa. Uh, pulling a gun near a ticket counter, and again, that's at Dallas Love Field in the uh, um, in the uh, terminal there for Southwest Airlines. It then shows three puffs of smoke coming out of the front of her gun before a Dallas police officer engages her. Uh, and again, according to the police chief, this 37-year-old uh, suspect woman did not legally own the gun she used, and again, she's stable in the hospital. All right, so that's the scenario. Those are the facts as we know them. What I want to go over with you in just a couple of moments are things that I observed, and in the sharing of those, I hope it will prepare you later for encountering an emergency like this, a potential life-and-death situation. You say, oh, Mike, that's not going to happen. Well, Lori and I didn't think we'd be involved in Um, a shooting incident in an active shooter uh, not too far from us as we were exiting a plane. You don't know when this might be put in front of you. So I want to go over some of the things that I observed, and I hope uh, you will find them helpful in determining what you need to think about if you are ever faced with this type of situation. Again, I hope you'll find this to be uh, very beneficial. So bear with me. We'll come back with those insights in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. With the big news of the day, here's more of the Mike Douglas Show. Now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, Again, we have a few technical gremlins that apparently entered the fray since I've been gone. Uh, Doing our best to deal with those, but we will proceed undaunted because little technical gremlins are no match for us here on the Mike Douglas Show. Again, on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Uh, So I've given you the sum and substance of what happened uh, yesterday as we were at Dallas uh, Love Field, uh, the airport there. 
and the active shooter. So let me <laughs> go over uh, some of the other background uh, ahead of time, and uh, and then we'll uh, and then we'll talk about the lessons learned and things. Maybe I hope that you can take away from this and and possibly uh, use in your own lives as uh, as well. All right, so Saturday morning, by the way, we, we were due to fly back on Saturday. So we get to Reagan Airport in uh, Washington, D.C., and uh, we're, we're there, you know, waiting at the gate and find out that our fly, flight is canceled. And so then there was a series of things. We were uh, rebooked on, a, on another flight uh, to uh, Salt Lake City. And, uh, and then, uh, we, my wife noticed the connection was not going to work there and, and that was fine. So, uh, then, uh, a couple of more reroutes and such. And, and then we had to, we had to drive thanks to our daughter over to Baltimore airport, Baltimore airport said, well, wait a minute, that plan's not going to work. The connections aren't going to work. So they rerouted us back to Reagan. It's so this happened about, I don't know, five or six times. Unbelievable. Part of the problem is uh, there are just a lot of flights being canceled, period. And so uh, ultimately what happened was we're we're there on uh, on Saturday night thinking we've got everything resolved, uh, plan to fly out Sunday and we get a text that our flight on Sunday has been canceled and we've been rebooked to Monday. Aren't we happy? Fortunately, uh, during the conference, we had been staying uh, with our daughter, God bless her, and uh, she put us up for a couple of days in her uh, one-room apartment, and uh, just you know, we're so thankful for her. But anyway, so we get to, get to the airport and uh, fly out. No problem there. We land to make... Uh, make a landing there at Dallas Love Field at the appropriate time. And uh, then we are exiting the airplane in order to uh, make a connection that we're going to have then to Sacramento. Well, I exit the plane. My wife is behind me uh, just a little bit. And as I'm entering the, the jetway there to go into the terminal, a whole bunch of people that have been ahead of me are running back into the airplane. I'm going, what What are you doing? What's going on? Active shooter, active shooter. I said, all right, where, where is the active shooter? I don't know, I don't know, I don't People are just absolutely hysterical. Uh, there, there are some women that are just sitting down in the, in the jetway and they're crying and, and they're on their cell phones and it, it's... What, what disturbed me most about that whole scenario, what really disturbed me about it, was that young men in their 20s, maybe early 30s, were pushing women and children aside as they ran back into the plane. Now, I don't know about you, but as a man, I've understood since I was able to understand things that men protect women and children. That's part of of our God job. That's what men do. We protect women and children. Now, what these young men were thinking, I don't know. But so I'm watching them run by me, and I'm like, well, where's the shooter? We don't know. I said, well, you're, 
how do you know the shooter's not on the plane or outside the plane? We don't know. We don't. What? Slow down. Start to think. So I start to think, and I'm standing there. I'm like, now, where's a weapon that I can get? Where's a barricade? Where's a barrier? Where can I take cover? If this uh, suspect, this active shooter, comes down the, the jetway there, what can I use to uh, attack them, and, and what can I use to block them from coming in on the plane? I, I'm looking for solutions here, right? While these other young men are they're terrified, and they're running back. And I'm, first of all, I'm thinking... You go back into that plane, you're a sitting duck, right? There's If the shooter is outside, we didn't know where the shooter was. If the shooter is outside the airplane, then he or she has, uh, ha- has all of us in their sights. Now, I don't know what it takes to put a bullet through the glass or, or the side of the airplane. I assume it's somewhat armored, but I don't know that. But I'm thinking, going back into the airplane, and the flight attendant says, well, come back in here because it's air-conditioned. I said, yeah, it's also a confined space. By the way, the cockpit is open. We have an active shooter out there, and you've got the cockpit open? So the pilots, two of them, were out where I was, and I said to the pilot, young guy, what's the status? What's happening? And he looks at me like, you know, a deer in the headlights. He doesn't know. I'll go find out. I said, good. So I'm looking at escape routes. Maybe we can go down the stairs of the jetway. So I'm thinking, this is what you do in emergency emergency situations. You start to think. You slow things down. You take a deep breath, and you assess the situation. Nobody there was really assessing the situation. Nobody. I would think the captain, one of them, or the first officer, somebody would have gone into the cockpit and they would have secured the door to protect the plane from being commandeered because we didn't know what was going on. I was just appalled. And and it gets worse, by the way. It doesn't get better. And I'm not, I'm not saying this in order to point fingers. I'm saying this to help benefit you. We'll be right back with more nuggets of wisdom from this Mike Douglas show. Power Talk 1360 KFIB. Back in five minutes. The Mike Douglas show. Now weekdays from three till five on Power Talk 1360 KFIB. On air and online. Take the Mike Douglas show with you with the iHeartRadio app. Search 1360 KFIB. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And uh, talking to you about this uh, great adventure that Lori and I had. Uh, Talking about lessons learned in an emergency situation. And uh, here's, uh, let me get into these lessons learned here uh, very, very quickly. First of all, uh, I would think, if you're in this type of situation, Running with the crowd is not a safe thing to do. One, you can get trampled. Number two, it gives the shooter a lot of moving targets. What you want to do, what you and I want to do, is find cover. Now, the police officer who uh, shot the suspect in her lower extremities... That particular police officer, he found cover behind one of those... uh, kiosks that Southwest Airlines has. So you want to find cover. Running away 
with the crowd increases the opportunities of random fire hitting you and of getting trampled, knocked down, whatever. What you want to do is find cover. And that's not what a lot of people were doing. All right. And then, <laughs> as, uh, as, as the people are, are running back into the plane, you, you want to think about finding cover. Now, what kind of safe cover does the airplane provide you when the cockpit is open, the jetway is open, and the side door to the uh, jetway that leads down to the tarmac is open? There are many, I'm, as I'm looking at that, I'm thinking there are many ways that if it's a terrorist attack, these folks or, fo- or persons can, uh, can get in. So it's important to do what we call situational awareness. Look for places to find cover. Now, in an airport, if you've even got carry-on bags with you, hiding behind the carry-on bags is even a good idea. Hiding behind the carry-on bags even can do it. And I'm looking there, and there are a couple of wheelchairs. Uh, there's a fire extinguisher. That's a great weapon not to hit him with, but to, uh, as, as I saw that fire extinguisher, I'm thinking, well, if a suspect comes down that jetway or they come up the uh, stairs, I'll fire that thing right into their eyes. I mean, you're thinking of what can I use that's available to me, A, for cover, and B, as a weapon. None of these young men who are pushing women and children aside to get back on the plane obviously were thinking about that. I don't know who brought them up, but I found that absolutely disgusting. Men protect women and children, whether it's their own or others, doesn't matter. Part of being a man is that you protect women and children. That's what you do. And I'm going to say this very carefully, and I'm going to preface what I'm going to say so that it is not misinterpreted. I have worked with plenty of female police officers who were excellent In fact, one or two of them could probably take me down with and whoop my behind with one hand tied behind their back. They were good, absolutely wonderful officers. And the same in the fire service. I worked with some females in the fire and rescue services that could outdo me. So I say that as a precursor to what I am going to say now. I think the feminization of men in our society is creating this type of dynamic where men no longer do what their job is. Now, the reason I preface that that way is I'm not saying women cannot be heroes. I'm not saying women cannot protect others. What I am saying is when we start to feminize men, we lose that hubris that God builds into us to protect others around us, whether it's the elderly or women and children. I was disgusted by the actions of many of these young men. I, anyway. So, 
at that point, I noticed a lot of people were on their cell phones. My recommendation to you is if you don't know if the active shooting is over yet, which we did not know at that point, get off the cell phone, put it away, put it in your pocket. Why, Mike? I want to take a picture of what's going on. Dumb. Why is that dumb, Mike? Because anytime you're on a cell phone videoing or talking, it narrows your depth of vision and it narrows the parameters of your vision. It, it creates tunnel vision. Not that any of us have ever done this, but when you're driving down the road and God forbid you're texting or you're talking on the cell phone, you get tunnel vision. That's why there are laws against it. That's why police officers write tickets for this. Is it narrows your scope of vision and 90% of your attention is on that cell phone and on the conversation or the video. So why is that dangerous? It's because you're not aware of your surroundings. We want to have situational awareness. We want to be scanning 365 deg- 360 degrees. What's going on around us? I'm listening. Am I hearing shots fired? I am not hearing shots fired, which means the threat is probably not right near us. But I'm watching. Are people coming down the jetway who don't look right? No. Are people coming down the jetway with weapons in their hands? No. But if I'm on my stupid cell phone, I can't tell. I encourage you, I implore you, in a life and death situation like this, put the cell phone away, have situational awareness, be aware of what's going on around you. It may save your life. All right. So I'm looking around as best I can. I decide, and I know where my wife is. That's part of my field of vision. I'm looking 360 degrees around. I see Lori is back on the plane. She is, she's saying, where's my husband? She is, she is there with the flight attendant. I see her. I wave at her and I let her know I'm okay. I'm out there to make sure that I can be part of the solution if the suspect comes down that jetway. I'm looking for alternatives. I'm looking for cover. I'm looking for weapons. I have situational awareness, which a lot of other people should have had, and, and they weren't. All right, so eventually we're told, you exit the plane and go back into the terminal. So we all exit the plane. We go back in the terminal. There's absolutely no direction out in the terminal whatsoever. And I know a lot, I saw a lot of people complimenting TSA. I thought TSA was useless, at least where we were. They were standing around guarding the bathrooms to make sure nobody got in the bathroom. Remember, TSA, they're not armed. And so maybe I'm being a little harsh, but at least TSA should have had information and should have been passing it on to people. They were not. In fact, I talked to one or two TSA people. I said, what's the situation? Where's the shooter? Don't know. Great. Lots of help. Thank you very much. And then some gal comes down the the gate area there. Y'all need to exit here. What do you mean y'all need to exit? Who, Who are you? 
y'all need to exit here. And so everybody starts exiting. I'm going, well, I don't know who she is, but I guess we're supposed to exit. So literally hundreds of people start to exit the terminal. There's no advisory over the airport PA system as to what's going on. It was a horrible job in terms of communicating what the situation was. In fact, there was zero communication from airport authorities to everyone in the airport. That's why they have the PA system, so you can talk to people. They had a scratchy, pre-recorded message that said, which you couldn't understand whatsoever. It said something about the emergency is in hand. I don't know. It was just... Couldn't understand it at all. Dumb. This is horrible. Has this airport not gone through training before for something like this? No information over the PA system. Hundreds of people milling around, not knowing what was happening, and no information was being given to them. So hundreds of us uh, are obediently moving down, and then we get to where the escalators are. Now, remember, there's a lot of elderly people with their carry-on. They shut the elevators down, right, so people can't use the elevators. And some guy in untucked shirt tails and blue jeans says, if you want to be rescreened for reentry, go to the left. Well, I'm looking at this guy, I wonder, who are you? And, and finally, around his neck on a chain, I see a badge. I don't know what the badge is. I don't know who he is. I don't know if he's pretending to be a, a police officer. I don't know who this guy is. He has no official vest on, which they should have had, all of them under the circumstances. So he says, go, go down this way if you want to get rechecked in for re-entry. Well, okay. So we head down and, and we make a couple of turns. We go down on another couple of stairways. Then we get to another fork in the road and a guy there in plain clothes is saying, all of you in the breezeway on the sides, you need to, y'all need to keep moving down the breezeway. Keep moving down the breezeway. And so one guy, I'm proud of him, right next to me says to him, why do we need to do that and who are you? Now, the guy received it well. Well, I'm the director of airport operations and we need you to go down the breezeway. And that way you can get re for reentry into the terminal. Okay, but the guy should have had a vest on. Any type of emergency operation like this, you need to supply the first responders with vests that loudly identify who they are. Whether it's Dallas, now Dallas PD wasn't too hard to spot those in uniform, but and the TSA, but they were pretty useless. They didn't have any information. So we finally get to the end of the breezeway, now you can go left or right. There's nobody down there to tell you whether to go left or right. Now I'm looking to the right. I see the garage. Don't want to go to the garage. I look to the left. I see, oh, I see TSA pre-check there. Lori and I both have TSA pre-check. And so we head that way. Still nobody providing any direction for hundreds of people 
looking around, anxious, some of them crying, some of them still hysterical. Unbelievable. So finally, we we got through because of the TSA pre-check. We got back in in about three minutes, and and we were uh, we were back to the gate. So my my point is, a Dallas Field, the airport administration needs to go back and do a what we call a hot wash, and I'm going to write him a letter and say, look, from my experience in law enforcement. And uh, in fire and rescue, here are things that I think would be helpful to help people the next time this happens. Would you please consider these? And I'll talk about vests. I'll talk about having people at, uh, at, the, at corners where people have a fork in the road. There needs to be an official there in a, in a vest to tell people what to do. If this had been a situation where the suspect wasn't taken down and the st- suspect was still shooting or there were multiple suspects, there would have been potentially a lot of dead people. And the airport did not help with that situation. All right, I'm going to conclude this, and we'll open up the phones, and you're welcome to react as you may want to to what you've just heard. Again, I have a few concluding thoughts in terms of what you and I need to do to think about how we react mentally should we be put in a situation like this. And again, you may say, oh, Mike, that's not going to happen. Happened to Lori and me yesterday. Didn't expect that. Could happen to you today or tomorrow. So let's review what we need to do in a life and death situation. Coming up in three minutes on the Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360 KFIV. With you every weekday from 3 till 5. Download the free iHeartRadio app and follow 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. All right, the purpose of me sharing the adventure that Lori and I were on was not to tell you how I spent my summer vacation. It's for a purpose. And let me just go over maybe five simple nuggets of wisdom here that I hope someday may help save your life and or the lives of others and help you through life and death situations where the threats are real. All right, here we go. By the way, there's a phone number here. If you would like to share some thoughts or reactions to this, our number here, 209-551-3483-209-551-3483. 3483. See, even being out a week, I remember the phone number. All right, lessons learned that I hope you can take advantage of and think about. Remember, we react the way we train, especially mentally. Number one, in a life and death situation where you hear the rumor of life and death, attempt to verify what's true. Don't just accept what's being yelled by hysterical people attempt to verify what's true. Secondly, have situational awareness. Look around you. Observe. Listen. 360 degrees. Look around you. Three, look for cover. 
Look for a cover. A cover could be an airport bag. A cover could be one of those kiosks that the police officer used when he returned fire. Look for things you can use as weapons. I was looking at, I don't know if you've seen those uh, wheelchairs at the airports, but they have those kind of long sticks on them, right, that stick up that are usually red or orange to let you know it's a wheelchair coming. I, I was prepared to rip one of those off and use it as a weapon if I needed to, or to use a fire extinguisher to spray the suspect or suspects in the eyes. Number four, put the cell phone away. There's a time to call people and let them know you're safe in the midst of a life and death situation is not the time. Again, why? Because you get tunnel vision. You won't notice things that might save your life. Number five, question and confirm authority. Well, shouldn't we automatically obey what we're being told? Well, it depends. How do you know? that what you're being told is accurate. How do you know that what you're being told comes from local police or the airport? And that's on them on this one, except for Dallas PD being in their uniforms. Everyone there did a horrible job. In any type of situation like this, this is the way you train. You get the vests out. You supply everyone with a vest. They ought to know where where those are located in case of an active shooter situation. They put the vest on and it identifies them as airport police or airport authority or whatever it might be. So confirm authority like the guy next to me. Why should we do what you say? Who are you? And the guy answered, and, and so we said, oh, okay. Looked at his little tiny name tag, but, you know, from 30 feet away, you can't tell what that little thing says. All right, and then uh, number six, throughout the entire process, take some deep breaths, slow breathing, and remain as calm as you can, but remain on alert. Remain vigilant. This is so important. And again, I was just appalled by these 20-something guys who were running down the jetway back into the plane, pushing aside women and children to save their own skin. I know my son would not react like that because he's been trained. What men do is they protect. What husbands do is they protect their wives and children. What men do is they protect women and children and the elderly and the infirm. Those people who can't protect themselves if you and I are able-bodied. Good grief, I'm 66 years old. I'm probably at least 40 years older than many of these young men They were hightailing it back into the plane. I was sitting out there ready to take on the suspects. What in the world is going through their minds? What a bunch of weenies. I'm sorry. That's just, I was appalled. I'm still appalled by that. Does that bother you? Young men like that, not rising to the occasion, Maybe, I don't know, maybe you think that's okay. Understandable. Our phone number here, 209-551-3483. Have you been in situations like that? What did you learn? 
What kind of lessons did you learn from them? Again, 209-551-3483. And by the way, we have uh, a lot more to uh, talk about today. By the way, the, the suspect, and again, I watched the, uh, the body cam uh, videos. The suspect apparently <clears throat> had been implicated in either a bank robbery or an attempted ba- bank robbery back in 2019. It was not like uh, she just decided to do this and had no record. Which brings up the whole issue. Here we go again. Here we go again. People being let out, not being locked up when they need to be locked up. All right, Mike Douglas Show continues. We'll also talk about uh, a health clinic that lost a bunch of records for biopsies. Coming up in five minutes. Mike Douglas Show, Power Talk 1360, KFIV. The show you love, talking about the issues that are important to you. The voice of the valley, the Mike Douglas Show. Now every weekday from three till five, on air and online. Power Talk thirteen sixty KFIV. Here again is your host Mike Douglas. And welcome back to hour number two of the Mike Douglas Show here on this fine Tuesday afternoon. Mike Douglas with you, your concierge for conversation. Thrilled to be back with you after quite an adventure last week. We thought, Lori and I thought we were just going to go to a, it was a wonderful conference, by the way. And again, I will be sharing tidbits uh, of that with you. Uh, and and just an overall assessment. I'm not going to get into it much today, uh, but we'll be peppering our broadcast for the next couple of days with uh, some nuggets of wisdom from that conference. I know many of you, are discouraged, and rightly so, about the condition of our culture today, about the leadership in Sacramento and in Washington, D.C. And again, you have a right to be discouraged and concerned. I know. Oh, Mike, you're you're that glass-half-full guy. Uh, I, I, am an op- I am a cautious optimist. I'm not a full-fledged tip throw tiptoe through the tulips optimist no uh no i i i am a cautious optimist and what i want to tell you from this immersion into by the way it was amazing 40 speakers in two days 40 speakers in two days and much of it was along uh, the format of uh might like the format of a TED Talk, if you're familiar with that. Uh, some of them maybe 10, 15 minutes long at best. Other them, others a little bit longer, uh, some 20 minutes, some going a little bit uh, towards a half hour, but mostly uh, uh, 10 to 15 minutes or 20, 25 minutes. Uh, and it was like uh, drinking water from a fully charged fire hose. I mean, it was, by the time we were done, uh, I know I had a, mig- a good migraine, but uh, I, I was immersed in information. And so it's going to take me a couple of days to sort it all out, but I, I will. The general broad brush thing I want to bring back to you is that I believe there is lots of hope on the horizon. More and more people are coming to understand corruption, 
more and more people are coming to understand, even if they are not people of faith, how important it is to recognize that the United States of America, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, the Bill of Rights, were all built upon Judeo-Christian ethics. I'm not saying that the U.S. has to become a Christian nation. Not saying that at all. In fact, we, we have in our rule of law, that we will not have a state religion, which is good. I'm a, I'm a pastor. If you've ever been in a congre- large congregational meeting, you know you don't want the institutional church running the state. Constantine tried that, didn't work out so well. But to have a nation at least that recognizes that the worldview that embraces the tenets of the Judeo-Christian ethic, those tenets must be the foundation of the United States of America. Or it's not going to work. I believe, listening at this conference, more and more people, whether they're people of faith or not, are recognizing that this rule of law does not work unless there's a commitment to preserving the Judeo-Christian ethic, to preserving it, not destroying it. And that's what's happening in much of our society today. So that said, and by the way, I don't know if you remember it, we had an interview maybe a year and a half ago, perhaps. It was early on, uh, in the early early time, early weeks of the uh, Mike Douglas show, we interviewed a, a young African-American man by the name of Kevin McCary, uh, McGarry, M-C-G-A-R-Y. I uh, heard him speak, went and talked to him a little bit at the conference. And he is coming out w- with a book. And again, I'm, I'm not here to promote a book. I don't get any financial benefit from this. But he is coming out with a book, I believe it's in uh, the early fall, that deals with the dangers of critical race theory and how destructive it is. This coming from a black man. And he nails it. And I, in the, in the next couple of days, I will tell you the name of that book. It's not available, available yet. It's, uh, it'll, it'll be on pre-order. But things like this are getting out there. And I had the chance to talk to him a little bit. And he's very encouraged. He is very positive about getting the word out. He says more and more people are realizing that this wokeness equals the death of our culture. And I talked to him about, I said, you know, as a pastor, I'm heartbroken that many of, of the tenets of this woke culture are seeping into the culture of the church at large. He said, you're exactly right. You're not imagining that. And he said, and we need to be on guard. Congregants need to be on guard. Pastors need to be on guard. And so I am very much looking forward to this book. I'll give you information on that later this week. Uh, I think it's going to be a blockbuster book. Highly recommend you look into it. Again, I get no financial (laughs) uh, benefit from this. I just think Kevin has done a masterful job. A wonderful, wonderful presentation. But it's people like Kevin from this conference that lead me to believe that, that we can be so consumed 
by the negative, which is by design, but we can be so consumed by the negative that we don't look up and see the potential. And as I've said to you many, many times before, it's my wiring that if there's a hill in front of me that needs to be taken, my question isn't, will I die on that hill? My question is, what will be saved by me attempting to take that hill? And if the cause is right, then whatever sacrifice I need to, be, I need to make is the sacrifice that I need to make. Unlike a lot of those 20-something guys that ran hysterically from the shooting. Anyway, I'm not going to go over that again. But that, that just disturbed me. That disturbed me. And again, I, I think a lot of the feminization of men in our culture is leading to this. You know, when, when it hits the fan, men need to stand up and be men. Protect your family, protect women and children and the elderly and the infirm around you, serve them sacrificially. That's what a man does. I'm not saying a woman doesn't do that because, as I said before, I've served with female cops, female uh, fire and rescue personnel who could far outdo me any day of the week, outperform me, absolutely. What I'm saying is when we feminize men as a culture, we're destined to be ruined and taken over, and we're destined to fall. Let men be men. And God help those teachers and administrators and school boards and superintendents who are trying to feminize young men as early as four, five, six, seven years old. Someday you'll stand before God, I believe, and you'll be held accountable for that. And we're going to fight it. And we're going to fight you. And we're going to keep on the pressure until you back down. That's my commitment here on the Mike Douglas Show. All right. Wanted to talk... (laughs) I'm still a little ramped up about that whole experience. By the way, our number here, 209-551-3483. If you've had a similar experience in a life-and-death situation, I'd be interested to hear uh, your reactions, what you had to deal with. I I do want to move very quickly to a note here, and then uh, in about five minutes or so, we'll talk about biopsies that apparently were either lost or delayed for over a year, and... This poor woman in Oakdale lost most of her tongue because of that, because of a cancer. I cannot believe this. I'll fill you in on details in a moment. I do want to very quickly make a note here. Uh, The Mariposa County Fire, I'm sure many of you have been uh, following that. It's uh, over 18,000 acres near Yosemite National Park. Um, As of this morning, I think it's about 26% contained. Uh, A lot of smoke filtering through the Central Valley. Uh, Governor Newsom has declared a state of emergency, what she's supposed to do. That's good. And uh, fire crews are trying to protect homes. 41 structures have been destroyed, three others damaged. I understand that um, thousands of people remain under evacuations. Uh, 
uh, and warnings. The Modesto Bee reporting 25 homes have been lost and 16 outbuildings. But this is what uh, is interesting to me. Uh, I was looking at Politico this morning. L- listen to this lead. This very because it tells you where they're coming from. In a pattern, this is from Political quote. In a pattern that has become disturbingly familiar, Californians are once again witnessing the ravaging effects of climate change. The fire is not due to climate change. Come on, Politico. All right. I'll share with you. Got that off my chest. I feel a lot better now. Talk about uh, Oakdale Health Clinic and uh, the biopsies that were. This is unconscionable. I can't believe this. This poor woman. We'll talk about the details coming up in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show as we continue on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. You're listening to the Mike Douglas Show, the voice of the valley. Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360. KFIV. Just noticing again this uh, headline from Politico talking about the Oak Fire near Yosemite National Park. Californians once again, says Politico, witnessing the ravaging effects of climate change. That's not due to climate. We'll go on as a former guy who was out there on many a wildfire. We'll talk about that in a moment. But let's get to the phones very quickly. 209-551-3483. And uh, John from Brentwood. Hi, John. Welcome to the show today. What's on your mind? Hey, Mike. Welcome back. Um, uh, Listening to your story about the airport thing was very interesting, and I'm disgusted about the, the thing about the kids pushing, or actually young adults pushing women and children out of the way. But... That's kind of what you expect. But as far as the, the climate change thing, your guest host yesterday had a guy on that has a home actually up in the area where the fire is. And interviewing the guy, he I don't remember what the guy's name was with the home, but he said something to the effect of maybe people will start paying attention to climate change and, and start doing different things so we can stop this happen, from happening every year or something to that effect. And when he said that, I kind of rolled my eyes and kind of had the same, the same response you did to the Politico thing. So I thought, well, you know that that was on your show yesterday. Yeah, John, I, I appreciate that. By the way, thanks for the call. Appreciate that very much, uh, John from Brentwood. John, I think one of the one of the issues is poor forest management. Three words, <laughs> or maybe ineffective is better. Ineffective forest management you know in in god's god knows what he's doing (laughs) in god's economy lightning strikes have been around forever i'm not saying this was due to a lightning strike i think it might have been a a accidental or intentional uh, start I'm, i'm not sure but that whatever not not germane to the point here God has used lightning strikes since probably before the recordation of human history to clean out forest areas. What happens? You get underbrush growing that needs to be 
taken away. It needs to be cleaned out. And occasionally, areas need to be burned. They need to be cleared. They, they, you need to remove the fuel that creates the potential for major fires. The problem is that's apparently not being done well. Now, it is at it, it can be happening in some points, in some places, but typically the reason that a lot of these places burn so quickly is that there's a lot of fuel there. That's why people say, that's why authorities say, and they're exactly right, you need to make sure that you have dead foliage, you have the fuel removed from at least, I'd say, 100 feet from your house at least, or outbuildings, whatever it might be. It is absolutely imperative that if you want to stop fires, you remove fuel. And this typically doesn't happen. And I think John's reaction here is the one I probably would have had as well. It's Climate change policies are not going to stop forest fires. By the way, remember Smokey Bear? Not Smokey the Bear, it's Smokey Bear. Smokey Bear, only you can prevent forest fires. Well, if I've always said that's not quite true, what about lightning strikes? You can't prevent lightning strikes. It's God's way through his natural creation to clear away brush, to clear away fuel, and to replant, to, to cause new things to grow. And so often, again, this is this automatic knee-jerk reaction. It's climate change. No, more money about climate change and and driving electric cars. And it's not going to stop forest big forest fires like this. Do, do do you not see the illogic in all of this? It's illogical. Totally illogical. But uh, there we go. And again, it is very interesting to me that uh, you don't don't you find it interesting to look at headlines and leads, the lead paragraphs in news stories? They tell us a lot, tell us a lot about the perspectives and the orientations of the uh, so-called news organizations that put them out. Now you say, well, why do you read Politico, Mike? Well, it's important, I think, to read Politico. It's important to read Axios. It's important even to watch clips from CNN and MSNBC, CBS, NBC, ABC, Fox. It's important to look at all of them. I look at headlines. I read the leads in the Modesto Bee. I read the leads in the Sacramento Bee. Los Angeles Times, New York Times. It's important for us to get those perspectives. But, you know, as we do that, just be very aware. And you can tell it within the first couple of sentences or so. You can tell by the lead where they're coming from. 
where they're coming from. So, all that said, let's uh, talk about one of our favorite places, Oakdale, California, cowboy capital of the world. And apparently, uh, a woman there lost her tongue due to a cancer that she didn't know she had. And they're saying she's among 122 patients at Oakdale Community Health Center who did not receive biopsy test results in enough time. And this is according to a California Department of Public Health investigation in April. I want to temper this with this statement. And I don't know if it's the same facility or the one across the street. I'm not sure. But I have been to Oak Valley Hospital many times. Every experience has been very positive. A little bit I'll tell you about our son. My, I, I, and I haven't been there for a long time. But I was there several times for things that looked very worrisome. Frankly, turned out to be not so, but they were able to tell us it wasn't a problem. Our son, when he was little, had this habit of banging his head on tables, and we take him to the ER because he had a knot that was almost as big as his head. I'll tell you how that worked out. But anyway, in a couple of minutes, I'll continue the story here. Uh, th- these people, apparently, um, the uh, they found that 121 patients hadn't received their biopsy results. It would tell them if they needed treatment for cancer or some other health condition. For two years and four months, in her case, this is absolutely incredible. We'll continue the conversation in five minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Again, back in five minutes. The Mike Douglas Show, now weekdays from 3 till 5 on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Here's more with the voice of the valley, Mike Douglas on Power Talk 1360 KFIV and streamed on the iHeartRadio app. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And uh, so much, uh, I am so, so thrilled to be back with you uh, today after our amazing adventures going uh, to what we thought would be a innocuous con. Uh, conference in uh, Arlington, Virginia. It was a great conference. And then we had the whole thing with the active shooter at Love Field in Dallas and all the lessons learned there. And uh, anyway, it's been quite a week. Happy to be back with you in front of the microphone here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And again, I want to make sure that we thank our uh, our guest hosts uh, for the past week and uh, yesterday. Uh, obviously, Ed Parco, uh, one of our constant and great guest hosts from Real Estate Jerky on the weekends. So much appreciate, Ed. And uh, behind the badge team from Modesto Police Department, Chris Adams, Steve Stanfield, and Eric Schuler. Uh, filled in last week as well, as did Modesto City Councilman Chris Rickey and Pastor Jim Applegate with Better Modesto. And at the end of last week, uh, Motek Sanchez with Frank Gallaldo. Uh, Motek is the uh, editor of 209times.com. Thanks to all of you uh, for filling in. So much appreciate uh, your abilities and your willingness to uh, to guest host. While uh, I was uh, away with my wife attending conferences and being involved in active shooter things. All right, uh, this, this thing in, in Oakdale, 
And again, we've only had very positive things at, at Oak Valley Hospital. Uh, I had to go a couple times several years ago. Uh, looked like uh, possible chest pains and all of that turned out to be uh, nothing urgent. Uh, things were easily solved. But uh, anyway, good experience. Now, very quickly, our son, when he was little, had a propensity for finding edges of tables upon which to hit his head. And he would get these huge, huge uh, hematomas on, on his head. And uh, even my nurse practitioner wife says, we, we need to go to the ER. So we'd go to the ER with our son. And by the way, Josh never never cried. I mean, he, he'd hit his head and, and he'd kind of look stunned, but he never cried. He just, it was amazing. And we we take him there, and of course you have to wait in the waiting room. And they had a little children's play area there, and and he would be you know playing with whatever was there for little kids. And by the time that uh, the nurse or the doctor came out and called his name, the visible hematoma was gone. Unbelievable! So that happened a, a second time. It happened a third time. And the next time when he hit his head, I said to Lori, the children's play area here has, must have some kind of healing power. And instead of getting dinged for an ER visit from our insurance and by the hospital, let's just go to the ER with our son, let him play in the play area for a while. We'll just tell the people we're, we're, we'll, we'll check in in a couple moments. Let him play for a while and see if that huge thing on his head goes down. And by golly, it would. So he never actually really saw a doctor there. And uh, I'm, I'm somewhat facetious about the play area having healing power, but it's the way it went down. So anyway, we've had only very positive. So I, I want to preface this with the fact that, that we've had very positive experiences there. Well, this woman uh, did not. Uh, they sampled, uh, did the uh, uh, California Department of Public Health investigators, they sampled uh, over 2,000 clinic patients um, of the Oakdale Community Health Center. And again, I don't know if this is part of uh, Oak Valley or not. Uh, I, it's the Oakdale Community Health Center, so I'm just making that possible uh, differentiation there. I, I think it probably is part of the Oak Valley hospital district. But anyway, so this poor woman goes in to have a biopsy and she goes in, apparently had a tongue biopsy on August, in August of 2019. Do you know when she got the results? January 17, 2022. She got the biopsy in August of 2019, didn't get her results until a follow-up appointment on January 17 of 2022. She was in pain, she said, for two years as the cancer spread. And after finally getting the pathology test results this uh, past January, she had to go to Stanford where they removed two-thirds of her tongue. And in addition, she needed a neck dissection to check her lymph nodes and the surrounding tissues for signs of cancer. 
She now has a prosthetic for her tongue, and she says, which is fully understandable, it makes it difficult to speak and eat lunch with friends. Well, it seemed to me to be difficult to speak and eat, period. And so for the rest of her life, she's going to need scans and blood tests to see if the cancer appears again. Appears again. This, it, I somehow this is incomprehensible to me. Now she has an attorney, and I expect there's going to be a lawsuit and, and all of that. Uh, the chief executive officer of the Oak Valley Hospital District, John McCormick, says there was a breakdown in providing uh, the process in the process of providing pathology reports. We are deeply saddened that this occurred. Even one case to us is significant. We have put in stronger processes to make sure it doesn't happen again. Well, I have a lot of questions. And and I, I mean, it's probably, and all I'm going off of is the Modesto B report here. But if I had a biopsy in August of 2019... And I didn't, it was August 6, 2019. If I didn't get any results on that within a week or two, I would be raising Cain and Abel. <laughs> I, I don't understand this. I, I was, were there no advocates that pressed for this, that, went to the administrator early. I, I just, and, and but I, I do understand, and maybe it's not the case here. I do understand there's a generational thing, and she's in her early 60s, so it's my generation. I know in my parents' and in-laws' generations, for some, there's a reluctance to push back. There's a relux, reluctance to push back on authority. Now I am I'm very judicious about that. But when it comes to health issues, I don't have any problem getting on the phone and saying what's going on and going up the uh up the chain of command as far as we need to to get some satisfaction. And of course, my nurse practitioner wife God help you if you are a healthcare professional and you're not doing your job, and you're ignoring us because my nurse practitioner wife takes no prisoners at that point. Let me just put it that way. Uh, I think every I think every every family ought to have a nurse somewhere in the family. It's great to have a nurse in the family because nurses know how to navigate the systems. They know which buttons to push. They know that you don't take no for an answer, that you keep going up the line, and if you have to go to the hospital's CEO or wherever you need to go, you do that. I just can't imagine. Did, did, did no one advocate for this poor woman who lost now two-thirds of her tongue? I mean, does... Does this bother you? Does this raise questions in your mind? How how have have you handled things like this? And, and you don't have to give me specifics, but 
Have you had to push back on insurance companies and healthcare providers in the past to make sure that your health was being taken care of? See, gone, gone are the days of a lot of people being in medicine because the patient is number one. It really is all about the money now. Now, for those of you who are nurses and doctors, I know many of you are committed to the patient. But if you look at the systemic issues, you know this. If you look at the systemic issues, especially as it gets into these big healthcare systems, you're a number. You are part of an equation. And if your factor in that equation equals more money down the drain and affects the profit line, then your care gets a little less attention than other people's. Is that not true? Have you had experience with that? Our telephone number, 209-551-3483, Have you had to push back on a health care system? I, I, this is unconscionable to me. And when we come back, as you're thinking about that, what about this big heist of a Brinks truck? And I'm sure you've been there, right? The Flying J down there by the Grapevine, I-5, been there multiple times. And I'm there probably three or four times a year. This is amazing. We'll talk about it in three minutes here on the Mike Douglas Show on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. 1360 KFIV is your place online. Let's get social with Power Talk 1360 KFIV. And welcome back to the Mike Douglas Show here on Power Talk 1360 KFIV. Mike Douglas here, your concierge for conversation. Thanks so much for being with us today. And again, I am thrilled to be back with you. Uh, missed being with you uh, about the, the past week. And again, we had hoped to be have been home on uh, on Saturday night, but uh, through uh, a lot of... Can- by the way, the cancellations of flights. By the way, I was looking at the board as... Uh, as we were there uh, in, uh, was it in, in Dallas when we were at Love Field? Yeah, it was after the whole issue of the active shooter and all of that, after that whole thing had been resolved and we got back in. I was looking at the amount of flights that had been canceled on the board. 47 flights that day had been canceled by Southwest Airlines. 47. Now, some of it was due to the fact they had an active shooter situation and, and they had uh, uh, taken flights and rerouted them to other airports for a while. But 47 flights had been canceled. And I don't know about you, but it, it is, you can't hardly go anywhere on a direct flight anymore. And uh, my wife had talked to uh, a young pilot who was uh, just completing, I think, his... Uh, his probationary period as a pilot for Southwest. And he said, first of all, he says, Southwest pilots, he said, I think they're the best in the business. They're, they're really, they're really great. And, uh, but, but he also said, you know, that we're hurting for pilots. I mean, they're, they are hiring left and right. So if you are a, uh, if you're a pilot, I guess Southwest they're looking for, uh, for pilots. All right. This heist, 
down uh, down I-5 at the Flying J there, the truck stop, uh, right at the base of the grapevine there. You know where that is. So on July 11, two armed guards take their Brinks truck, their big rig, and they uh, they park it there. They get out of the rig, and apparently they uh, leave for 27 minutes, and a bunch of thieves make a huge snatch. And the value is a mystery. Estimates, estimates range from $10 million to $100 million. Apparently, the burglars bypassed the truck's locking mechanism and used the storage containers to haul away precious gems, gold, and other valuables. And, and this was a, a Brinks tractor trailer. Now, of course, they're, they're not discussing the details yet, but it, this was at 2 a.m. in the morning, and Brinks is saying, eh, probably less than $10 million based on insurance. But apparently uh, a Fed says, yeah, it was headed to the International Gem and Jewelry Show in Pasadena. They're saying uh, the goods there were worth uh, closer to $100 million. Good night. So how did the thieves get into the truck? Apparently they bypassed the lock, which is hard to do. And I... The other thing, you know, the trailer locking mechanism, and apparently it has a, it's very hard to to crack that. But here's my question. If you've got 10 million, 100 million, whatever it is, worth of jewels and such, and that included, let's see, jewelry, diamonds, precious gems, Rolexes, designer watches... If you had all of those, apparently uh, the items had been displayed in San Mateo and they were transporting them to Pasadena where there was uh, apparently uh, there was another uh, convention or or something where they were going to be uh, displayed or, or sold at something. But anyway, my question is, if you have that much in your tractor trailer... Why do you leave it unattended? Hmm? Think about this. Let's let's say you're one of the two guys in the cab. You got a driver and someone driving shotgun, so to speak. Would 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 you, don't you think that even if you're going to eat that you'd say, "Well, you you go get your food or I mean, I go there because I have to at that point, having been on the road for so many hours, but that's a whole different issue. But anyway, so the the point is, even if they're using the facilities or they're getting something to eat, they're getting some coffee, whatever, don't you think that they would leave one of them in the truck or by the truck? This has all the makings of a a great television show or movie. You know, this is a a new Ocean's Eleven or Grief on the Grapevine or whatever you want to. This is amazing to me. How does how does that happen? 
So apparently the show in the trade show in San Mateo was uh, from July 8 through 10. And the Pasadena show was scheduled for July 15 to 17. So uh, the fact that they were able to bypass, and by the way, at 2 o'clock in the morning, there's still still people around. And I, I don't know about you, but anytime I see a Brinks truck and it's parked, I'm watching it. Why? Because I want to be a good witness. Oh, Mike, you're just... No. I want, I want to be a good witness. I want to make sure that everything's fine. So I watch. And uh, I... Did nobody see anything? Is that is that possible? I, I don't... This is just... Does this boggle your mind how this... For, I mean, we've had two boggling mind stories today. One is this woman in Oakdale who had to wait from 2019 to 2022 to get her biopsy and, and lost uh, three quarters of her tongue. And and now we have this story about the, uh, about the jewelry heist. Let's squeeze in a, a quick question, a quick phone call here from Loretta in Modesto. Uh, Loretta, we've got about 30 seconds. Uh, what What's your question or your observation today, Loretta? 30 hours. About 04, 30 hours this morning, we heard a sound. It was a big lightning, then thunder. And it was over here near Grisada Park, and it was bright, bright, bright. Did anyone at all know of it? If they did, please All right. Thank you, Loretta. Appreciate that. See you tomorrow on the Mike Douglas Show. Power Talk 1360 KFIV.